Many people on dating apps come back with bad date stories. Today's guest found not only love and friendship, but a whole new career that led her to starting her own perfume brand here in the New Hampshire Seacoast. I'm Matt Murray, Executive Editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, Chief Growth Officer of Granite Media Group and founder of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. Ah, oh, man. There was a point in my life, and this is, of course, apropos of our guest, as it usually is, but there was a point in my life where I thought I was cool. Um, I have since realized that I am not. Um, I never went through such a phase. But do tell. <laughs> Wait. Now, is that because you were always just, you knew you were cool or... Oh, no. No. The opposite? Cool and I never seemed to get along. Cool. Yeah. Well, hey, that's all right. But no, so part of part of that, like, I'm cool, I'm hip, I'm, you know, whatever... I was like wearing cologne, baby. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I did a little stint. I don't know if this has ever come out before. I did a little stint um, in between the, my very, very first job, which was at a garden center and um, going to college. I uh, worked at a high-end clothing store at an outlet mall near, near my house, um, which I don't know what that gives for me any credibility or <laughs> it just tears me down or what, but they had two cologne brands. Two very, very different. And it was like every male, and I think they had a, a line of perfume for female, every male in that place like would walk through a cloud of, of cologne before they, you know, got to work. And it was just like, <laughs> oh my God, what is that? You know, and then it's like spraying well, you know, in the shop. And it was it, it really was terrible. I mean, they were probably lovely in moderation, but um but it was let's face it, guys in their twenties do not know about moderation where it no, comes. No, they don't. So there's always just a like, more is oh, more you know, mentality. It says to put a little on your wrist and do this, <laughs> but I'm just gonna spray my whole body. Right. You know? That's fine, right? Um but it was like so there was uh, it was the it was the Hugo Boss store, um, uh-huh. if, and so it was Boss, which was like more vanilla ish, uh-huh. and then there was Hugo Boss, which was like this sporty, like like in your face. I don't know, I don't know. It just was in your face, and then like um, I have a, a friend that wore um, Jean Paul Gaultier. Oh my! I know, I know, Thank and I remember. Well, I remember the bottle. The bottle was like this male figure in in like this dark green color. It was beautiful. Um, but yeah, but it, it, I, just I was not... a polo guy okay. in college because I, I, I thought, polo you know, too. I, I yeah. thought, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to be fancy. I'm yeah. going to attract, you yeah. know, my, my now wife, you know, yeah. lure her in. You, with and, scent. and if I asked her, would she say it was the polo? It, <laughs> it was the polo. It, lo- it, it lured was, me in. Despite the polo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she saw through the polo. I, I mean, love thank it. God I was not coming of age during the axe era because that, oh. I think. Oh, young guys just don't know when to quit. <laughs> I um, I sort of was, but I wasn't part of the X, uh, you know, fad. But there was a lot of guys who would like just spray everything they owned and didn't have to shower or do laundry for like three weeks. So now I don't do so much <laughs> cologne, but I do do kind of like you know scented shaving mm. lathers. You know, oh, that are, you know more natural. That's nice. Um, yeah, and so you know, I think that gives you know that nice little extra mm-hmm. without being too extra. Right, right. Being too extra. I, I was too extra a long time ago. Yes. And you know, uh, I think this conversation is officially too extra. I think so. so now time it's time. On. Now Something it's time more to feature our guest. And our guest this week is Miriam Sheket, 26-year-old perfumer and owner of Lab House. Here is a story of love, first through a dating app and then through the world of perfumes. 
She'll admit that she's new to the business side of a passion and that she's still learning, but she certainly has a story to tell. Miriam, welcome. And um, thanks for being here because I understand that you have quite the story uh, around how this all started. And I think it's so apropos just to get right, get right to it and have you uh, sort of tell the story as you do about this growing brand. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it all started about six years ago. I was on a dating app and I was scrolling and I saw someone list themselves as a perfumer. Oh. And I was like, a perfumer. Okay, so that like that guy at Macy's that like sprays you with perfume. <laughs> and then you and, run through right? it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you like try to run away from him. Right. Um, but I was like, oh, okay, he's cute. He's cute. I'll go on a date with him. Oh. Um, and so I did and I was really surprised to find out that, no, that's that's not what a perfumer is. He's not the guy at Macy's. He's actually the guy who writes the formulas in a lab for fragrances. Interesting. And yeah. And, um, so, and what were you doing at the time? Well, yeah. So I was, I had just turned 21 and I was working at a hotel as a hostess at the Hyatt Place. Um, I had no ambitions to go back to school. I, you know, I was one of those kids that like made it through high school, but mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be an artist or something, or cool. I, I'm just going to like, just not sure. Just didn't, didn't know what I wanted to do. And so mm -hmm. I didn't per pursue a college education originally. Mm -hmm. um, and so what did this, once you talked to him about his job, what did that spark in you? And what, what were the kind of the next steps you took other than setting up some more dates? <laughs> <laughs> So, well, so talking to him about his job, he actually started to bring me different like raw materials to smell. And I, we started to like break down different fragrances. And so what happened was fragrances went from being this, um, almost like they went from being this mystical thing that's just like, oh, they just happen to mm. being like pieces of art. Whoa. Almost like the way that a musician writes a song or the way a painter sits there and spends hours painting a painting. When you can really start to break apart the different molecules in a fragrance with your nose, mm -hmm. you can almost like hear the music for all of the hard work and art that it is. Whoa. If that makes sense. I love this. This is awesome. Oh, it, uh, you're in for a treat. Oh. Uh, we, I, we, I, I had the pleasure of interviewing Miriam for the magazine. Mm -hmm. they, our readers, can, our listeners can read in our uh, April issue. Um, but can you talk about, you know, you're just talking about, you know, he was bringing these, these raw materials. Mm -hmm. What were some of the scents that really set your senses off? That Okay, kind of so... Mm. had a new experience for you that you didn't expect. Yeah. Okay. So a few of the raw materials that really opened my eyes that he had showed me were um, cashmeran, linalool, ethylinalool. Um, and what are these about, and what are the, the, the so, type of so scents? So cashmeran, actually they started featuring this note on fragrances recently, even though it's actually, a, it's a raw material. Mm -hmm. um, that smells like a cedar wood, but like if mm. you were to make cedar wood a little more clean and almost synthetic, like it's not something that occurs in nature. It's a hmm. synthetic, but um, it smells almost like clean, fluffy laundry slash cedar wood. Oh my gosh. But the key thing is, and and like linalool and ethylinalool, those are, linalool is naturally occurring. Ethylinalool is a synthetic. Mm -hmm. But these are materials that are used in perfume all the time. And so it'd be kind of like if you didn't, if you had tasted chocolate chips and mm -hmm. you tasted chocolate chip cookies, 
or rather you tasted chocolate chip cookies, but you didn't know what chocolate chips were. Oh. And suddenly you can see, oh, there, there's the chocolate chips. Ah. And suddenly you're, you're starting to know how to make that cookie, if you will, in this metaphor. Oh, this is wild. So um, I, I'm still like, I'm still so curious. And and so these, these scents or this raw material that he's bringing you, can we like trace that backwards? Where where are those made? How are those made? If they're naturally occurring, how are they sourced into? And and is it a liquid he's bringing you, or is it some? Uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm just curious because I'm yeah. completely clueless, obviously, okay. from my my years of. So you know, the the raw cologne. materials range <laughs> from like liquids to solids mm-hmm. to natural extracts that are achieved by like distillation oh, okay. Um, okay. to synthetics that are made in a lab. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really just depends on the material. Wow. Okay. So kind of like in a kitchen, you know, you'd have flour, you'd have oil, you'd have, it just depends on what it is. I appreciate the analogies because it's helping me to, you know, I take know. my simple mind around all these things and go, well, wait a minute. Okay. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, and, I do a lot of craft fairs. And so this is, yeah. this is my best analogy <laughs> has been, your... has been the chef to the perfumer because nice. people are familiar with chefs. Yes. They're not familiar with perfumers. Yes. Yeah. And you just tap people like me on the head and go, just listen to me and you'll understand. <laughs> so you're starting to get this informal education in these various Mm-hmm. Sense and what kind of builds into the, these mm-hmm. perfumes yes. uh, that he creates. At what point did that go from an interesting hobby to sparking something deeper in you to go, I want to pursue this more? And what did that involve? So, about a month in, I he actually took me back to his lab and let me play with fragrance materials one day. And I got to make my own fragrance. Wow. And I suddenly, we were talking about the chemistry behind perfume. Mm-hmm. We were talking about shift bases. Um, Orantiol is a shift base made with, um, I think it's methyl and thranolate and hydroxy citronellol. And we were talking about the chemistry and the like electron pushing mechanism. And suddenly I realized that when it's built around something that I love, something that's magical to me, like fragrance, chemistry and math and science. And suddenly the, the molecules that build our world around us seemed so fascinating to me. And I realized that I really wished my education ran a little deeper. And this perfumer actually had gotten into perfumery through chemistry. Mm-hmm. And that is, one, that is one route to go. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, it just clicked for me that I was like, I need to go back to school. I, w- uh-huh. I want to learn chemistry. I want to be a perfumer. This is what I want to do because if I do this every day of my life, I won't feel like I ever am working a day in my life. So you enrolled where? I enrolled in University of North Carolina, Asheville. And so you're a chemistry major. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what it was like, because I imagine a lot of the other students were there for research, medical, like the, mm. maybe they're going to mm-hmm. go on to be a doctor or they're going to go into research or scientist. And was there anyone else that was saying, I'm getting this degree to be a perfumer? What was it like to That's do that? That's what I voice? Yeah. Did you find was, another perfumer? I was the odd one out for sure. I think almost every other person in my major was going in for medical mm-hmm. or... I think like maybe one other person was going in for art restoration. Oh, wow. Which was also very interesting. Yeah. But whenever there was a group project, whenever there was a presentation where you get to pick (laughs) your own research, like I did, I remember the first year, my freshman year, we got to 
get into groups and like pick something to research and then present on some kind of um, had to be some kind of uh, electron pushing mechanism that we wanted to show and like something yeah. chemistry based. <laughs> um, and the group I was in all wanted to do like something medical, something that just had nothing to do with fragrance and they didn't really get my like my thing for fragrance. And so I actually asked, I was like, can, can I actually do this one alone? I know it's supposed to be done with a group, but I mean, basically I'm asking to do more work, not less work. So <laughs> would it be okay? Cause I really want to geek out about a rant y'all. And that, that was when I did a presentation on a shift based reaction. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, I was the only perfume dork that was like, no, I know exactly what I want to do when I get out of school mm. and I'm already doing it. At that point, I had already started collecting raw materials myself and building my own little fragrance lab at home and training my nose. And did that push you forward more? Were you excited because you were taking such a unique route or did it make it a bit harder because you were, you didn't have anyone else that maybe shared that same passion and route that you were going? Um, no, honestly, I think the unique route, well, so I think actually, so industrial perfumers all pretty much have to get backgrounds in chemistry. Mm -hmm. um, and when, but, you, when you say industrial perfumers, that's somebody who's working for one of these like major, big, major brands. Yeah, that's okay. what I mean. Like okay. they're either working for a big major brand, they're working in some big corporation. Sure. There's a handful of really big fragrance houses that mm -hmm. have um, like basically perfume schools you can go to, but first you have to get like I'm pretty sure it's Givadons. You have to get a bachelor's of science in chemistry, a master's in chemistry, and then you can wow. get into their fragrance school. And that's like another several years of training. And they only ex accept like 0.08% of applicants. Oh my God. Wow. So you can see where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. I, I can, I can teach myself this, you know, like it's, wow. it's an art form. Mm -hmm. It's an art form and it's chemistry meeting in the middle. Maybe I won't, maybe I don't have the pedigree. I don't have the prestige, but it's like, there's plenty of painters out there that didn't go to art schools. There's plenty of musicians out there that didn't go to music school. Mm -hmm. This is an art form. Why can't I do it on my own? So you earn your degree. Mm -hmm. And so where did that lead you? So after I got my degree with UNH, I, I needed a job because, <laughs> you know, paying for my own life. Um, so I went and worked for Procter and Gamble. I was trying, I was aiming for a job that would still use my nose mm. because fragrances, I, I figured, you know, if I got to work with fragrances still and I got to use my olfactive palette, I'd still be enjoying what I'm doing. Um, and so I went and worked for them. I got the job as a microbiology and analytical um, quality control chemist. But after working them, for them for a few months, they gave me the job as site odor coordinator as well. And what does that entail or mean? So the site <laughs> exactly. odor coordinator, yes. basically the plant I worked on was a Gillette plant. And mm -hmm. so they're making shaving creams. And at each stage of the process of manufacturing, um, samples would be pulled and analytical tests would be run on them, but we'd also do odor tests. So they might mix together like the soap base without the fragrance. And I would smell that and decide, does it smell like the standard? And the standard is like, a little jar or a little sample of what that's supposed to smell like. And so I'd compare them and say, do these smell the same? If not, why? And if they don't smell the same, then I start doing research on like, why? Where did we go wrong? Is it a raw material? Is it, um, did something get contaminated? Mm -hmm. um, 
And that would go through the whole process of making that product. So down to the finished product that does have the fragrance oil in it. Mm-hmm. And then I'd smell it and say, is it the right fragrance oil? Does it match the standard? If not, wow. I'd run um, experiments to figure out why. Mm-hmm. And so you're working at this major company, Gillette. Was the hope that you would get move from that side of their business over to the perfume? Yes. How some A little bit. Um, so... Originally, when I started this, there was a little bit of that hope that I could get the degree and then somehow get into the larger fragrance industry mm-hmm. through a job. Um, and that does happen. That mm-hmm. is a way of doing it. And Procter & Gamble actually has, I think they, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they sell the most fragrance oil by weight in the world. Oh, my gosh. Because remember, they make Tide. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they make a lot of scented products. And they're, they're also considered a fragrance house. Like they have their own internal fragrance house. Um, and one of their, one of their um, better known perfumers, um, Raphael, I'm forgetting his last name for some reason, the guy that formulated for Tide basically, hmm. started talking to him. And I really wanted to get into their, the fragrance side of things with them. Um, and it was sort of this like series of me sending in applications, hearing like, there's an opportunity. I send in an application, Mm. wait a few months, nothing happens. Okay. I try again, send another application, never hear back, you know? Um, and I just, after a while, it felt like the clock was ticking, you know? And then we're moving. And and during this time you had moved to Dover, correct? New Hampshire. Yes. I had moved to Dover, New Hampshire. And then the pandemic hits. Right. So I had <laughs> actually thing, yeah. started um, this job during the pandemic. And so, so you, uh, you're lucky enough to be in a, in a job that wasn't shut down. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, during this. But at what point during that time frame, you know, did you decide I need to strike out on my own? I mean, this is a big decision. You've got a good job. It's stable, uh, particularly during a very unstable time. And then you make the decision to upend your life, essentially to start your own brand. Yeah. What led to that? Uh, so there is, there's a series of factors going on here. Um, so a, we're one of the few companies that is not shut down during COVID, but a lot of people don't want to work. So I'm working, you know, 60 hours a week on average that's a lot of work mm. and it's, it's burning me out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to go home and like still want to do research and practice your, your hobby and your passion when you just worked a 10 hour shift. Yeah. Um, so there was that, there was also the combination of COVID was, I think like it had actually, it was towards the end of COVID. Right. Mm-hmm. And I had kind of like heard of the lipstick effect So people were like trading down luxury goods, right? They're trying to support small businesses, but also they're, um, you know, they can't buy a fancy car so they can buy a nice bottle of perfume. Uh So I'm kind of seeing an opportunity here. Um, And then in addition to that, my thought is like, okay, I'm not having any luck breaking into the perfume industry this way. How else can I do it? How can I show, how can I prove that I am a perfumer that I have trained my nose, that I want to be in this industry. What can I do to build a resume here? 
um, without getting in through the corporations. And so my original idea was to start a subscription box um, that like teaches people about perfume. And so what was the basis of the subscription box that the concept you had? Uh, so basically there's two perfumes in the box. There's a plus and a minus. Um, one of them features a raw material that I'm talking about and the other one just excludes it. And so you'd get the sample of the raw material and then the two perfumes and I would write like a little blog about it. Um, I still have the blogs on my website actually. But, um, and so what did you learn from that experience of, of this original concept and why you kind of moved away from it? So that pe- people don't love reading is what I learned. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I want perfume. Don't make me learn. Exactly. Um, also it's, it's kind of like a bit of a niche interest. Hmm. Um, and what happened was, so I was kind of, I was pursuing that, but then I also had started making my own bottle, full size bottles of perfume Mm -hmm. and there was a craft fair, um, what was it called? Market square day in Portsmouth. And so I, I saw that and I was like, I'm really lonely. I really want to like get my stuff out there. Maybe if I go to this craft fair, I'll like meet people, meet other business people. It'll be fun. So I brought just the full size bottles of perfume with my decorations on them and stuff to this craft fair and it did so well that I was like, oh my gosh, like uh, I can do this as a living. Like this, this is enough that I could quit my job and support myself doing craft fairs every weekend. So that was when I made the big decision <laughs> to say, okay, I guess I'm going to do this full time. I need to lean into this. Yeah. So let's continue that story. So, I mean, obviously there's, you know, you, there's the leap and how far, how long after that, you know, that first experience there and realizing that there's something here in, as a business, um, did you kind of go, you know, even more full tilt into, into this? Um, so I think after that experience, I pretty much put in my two weeks and was like, no, no, I was like, I'm, I'm going to get on this while I have the chance because I think like, I know, like I wanted to live my life with urgency and that was kind of a moment for me where I was like, okay, I can do this. Let's do this today. Let's not wait. Cause you know, you could get into your late fifties before you find the thing that you love. But I was lucky enough to find it right then and there. So I decided that was the day. <laughs> I have, I think, I don't know if we buried the lead on this or not, but I'm really curious about this, this individual that you met on the dating app in the very beginning of the story, um, who introduced you and kind of sparked this for you. Uh, is that individual still around? Yes, absolutely. We're still very good friends. Ah, we okay. did actually date for quite a while. Okay. Um, and that relationship went from romantic to just more of a very heartfelt friendship. And nice. that's where it is. That's and amazing. It's it's amazing to have those and yeah. to have like a partner in, in the perfuming, you know, world as well. Yeah. Someone to refer to. He's yeah. been definitely instrumental in my learning process. Nice. No doubt. Along nice. with other people along the way. He'll get royalties when you write a book. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, just work out the deal first, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the brand you've developed yeah. because I mean, I think people hear like, oh, so I've developed a brand. And they, But it, there's so much work that has gone into it. Can you talk about how many scents you have and start describing 
and maybe describe a couple of what inspired the scents and what went into them and then connect them to the bottle and the, the complete mm. brand because you've turned your bottles essentially into works of art. And well, so how you if, connect if, those images to your scents. So I know there's a lot there to unpack, but can, can you kind of break down the process of, of your brand? So the bottles being a work of art is part of the metaphor of Lab House that's like discover art in perfume. It's sort of bringing back the artistry into perfume because Mm -hmm. these days, like, there's so many scented things. You know, everything is scented. You've Mm. got, like, your average hand soap is scented when, you know, 100 years ago, that would have been a lot of extra money. (laughs) So, and I think, you know, you walk into gyms these days, there's a scent they've got pumping Mm -hmm. through the, the, their little, like, wind things. Yes. You walk into a hotel, they've got scents. So, it seems like perfume, like I don't know if people appreciate it as art. They don't I don't know if they appreciate it as someone behind the scenes is spending hours and hours and hours building this olfactive illusion for you. Wow. Um and so that's part of why I decided I'm gonna go a really different route with the way my bottles look. Mm-hmm. And they really are meant to be a piece of art that you put up on your shelf that people walk into the room and say, what is that? And then you can kind of talk about what it is, mm. where you got it, what the story is behind it. So one of them, I believe, is called Mirage. Mirage, Mirage. Yes. So let's break that. So th- th- on the bottle, there's a woman, um, and as you, you, you look at her, um, her hair starts going from hair to a mist. Um, can you talk about what inspired that image and what inspired the scent behind it? Absolutely. So I get different kinds of inspirations for the fragrances. Sometimes it's, I have a complete vision of what I'm aiming for right off the bat. And sometimes it's a raw material that really gets me going. Mm -hmm. And with Mirage, that was a material called Fumin Sense, which is a pyrogenated frankincense. It's basically when they do a dry distillation of frankincense. So when they distill it, it it burns it a little bit and you get like a really realistic incense note. Mm -hmm. Now, for me, I was actually raised in the Catholic church and they they would burn frankincense Mm -hmm. drops there. And um, so that that material just like took me back all of a sudden to these these moments of like sitting in the pews with my family or like Christmases where there was all the traditional processions and, or Easter's with traditional processions Mm -hmm. where they burnt incense. Um, And it's like, it's a warm feeling for me. It was a, it was like a hug of like being next to my family, being with my parents, being that child with no worries and like having the illusion or the, the mystery of religion in my head. Um, and so the picture on the bottle is a woman basically drifting off into that dream and drifting off into that illusion. And you can kind of see the like spirals of, you know, pretty pinks and purple smoke kind of floating off from her mind as she's just like not really there. Her facial expression is really like looking off into nowhere too. Like she's in her own world. And when you, for me, when I spray that fragrance, mm-hmm. And when I was formulating that fragrance, I was like off in my own little memory <laughs> of childhood. Nice. nice. And so what are the, the scents that really are encompass your brand, do you think? Um, you know, can you talk about the different um, inspirations that you have drawn from and how that has translated into this, the, the line that you have developed? Yeah, absolutely. So I have seven different fragrances. 
Um, now, do you want me to go through the inspirations individually or? Let's track uh, like a couple that you think are, are, are really kind of representative of what you've been trying to achieve as a brand. Okay. Okay. So, um, viridescent, for example, um, that one is one where I had a vision of basically moss consuming the forest floor. I used to go for these walks in Dover a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this really mossy forest. And so with that fragrance, I was trying to like, uh, encapsulate what that, what that looked like to me in a bottle. Um, and when you smell that one, you really get like notes of like spring happening, right? You get like fresh grapefruit, you get pink pepper, black pepper, and then it's, it quickly transitions into cedarwood and oak moss and you can almost like smell the forestiness. Mm. Um, and so like, that's an example of like the forest inspired me. It was a place and somewhere I went. And then there's like fever dream, which was one where I just had a vision of the fragrance. Like I knew what I wanted it to smell like. Um, and that one I worked on very feverishly. And that's why it's called Fever Dream is because it was like, <laughs> I was so determined to achieve this olfactive profile. And what's the image on the bottle that you developed for that? Oh, and the image on the bottle for that is like this sort of um, abstract conglomeration of like pink goo and oranges. And like, like it looks, it looks like it smells juicy. Like, if, and people say that when they look at my bottles, they're like, "Oh, looking at these, I feel like I know what the fragrance is gonna smell like," because the image on the bottle really does represent what it should smell like. Like on Viridescent, the forest one, it's got a forest on it. It's it's hard not to look at it and be like, "Oh yes, this is going to smell like a mossy forest," <laughs> <laughs> which is what I want to smell like. Yeah. So, can, can you talk about? You know, who are the the clients that you tend to attract um, with your brand and what differentiates you from something they're going to find at the perfume counter at Macy's? So the clients I attract, I think, are not the people that are wearing perfume to be fashionable. Like, that's not what I'm selling you. I'm not selling you a fashion accessory. I'm selling you an experience and I'm selling you art in a bottle. I'm not selling you something that's going to make you the cool kid as you were talking about. Oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, well, I guess I'll have to find a new focus. <laughs> um, there, a lot of times I'll get clients that say, I don't really like perfume. And then they smell my perfume. And they're like, oh, actually, mm. you know what? I could be into perfume after all. <laughs> they maybe just want something different. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so my, my scent profiles, they're very wearable, but they're not, I'm not following trends on the market. And I'm not, I'm not going to, formulate something that's like inspired off of whatever the latest hit perfume is. Got it. Um, I have some sort of logistical questions, which I usually always come up with, but um, (laughs) I also wanted, so I want to dig into a couple of things. One, um, do you, when you create a scent, is it created with, oh, this is this, a a woman would like this or a man would like this or whomever would like this. Um, Is it that way where, you know, like you go to the Macy's counter and there's like the women's perfume and the men's cologne. Like, uh, are you thinking in that way? Or is it just that these are scents that anyone could wear if they like it? So when I formulate, I actually don't formulate with gender in mind at all. I always think it, I don't know why we gendered fragrance. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like if you like it, wear it. If a right. man wants to smell like a beautiful strawberry rose, then yes, you I know do. what? <laughs> I'd prefer he smelled like that than some other things. <laughs> <laughs> then I don't know, Hugo Boss or Polo or 
Um, so that helps me too to understand. Um, and and can you talk to a little bit about the history of perfumes and and humans wearing scents in that way? And, and are, is there sort of an origin story around that of like why we did that? And then did it you know come into popular culture or or what? I'm I'm again just curious. Um. So. And I won't pretend to be the expert. You on don't this, have to be. But no. <laughs> I will say that it seems like fragrances were used a lot in spiritual reference, mm. hence the incense mm-hmm. that was burnt. Sure. Um, and maybe that's because your sense of smell has like always been a, a mystery, right? There's something mysterious about it, especially back when we didn't know chemistry. Um, now we're starting to unravel some of that, but. That doesn't mean that it's not still like fascinating and mysterious. Um, so they were used in um, rituals and ceremonies. They were also used to cover up bad smells. So mm, yeah, I you think I heard that one. Yeah, you yeah. might notice that some like vintage perfumes used to be a lot more like heavy and animalic and like really, really strong because you're really trying to cover up some bad city smells. They used to not be plumbing. <laughs> so. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, Enough said. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um, Fascinating. Which is why, like, modern perfumes now, you'll see are becoming more and more sheer and short-lived. Like, people take showers every day now. Right. So. For the most part. Right. So some of us. Some of us. <laughs> what does it um, take to compete in this marketplace? Mm. I mean, it's so competitive. There's, especially, you know, when you talk about the major fragrance houses, um, how do you as... Uh, a, a independent brand compete out there? Um, so the way I always like to think about it is like, there's always room for another artist. There's always room for a different art piece. And because I'm thinking of perfume as art, mm-hmm. I think there's room for another artist. But I will say it is it is tricky because people do, um, they do want to compare me to like the Macy's perfume And, you know, why should I buy your stuff if I can just go in there and buy that stuff? And it's like, well, it smells very different. Like I'm not, that's, that's that's another reason why I'm not copying trends. Mm. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. That would be my response is because it's totally different. You're not, like you said, you're not catering to that market whatsoever. So, um, and you're, you're a true artist. This is fascinating to me because you've kind of, you know, the science uh, around things has, and then, and then uh, the, the passion and, and your bottles being a, a piece of art as well. This is just um, something that I know very little about. And I'm so glad that you've, you've joined us today. Um, do you, I mean, people start a, a business because they're passionate about something. Um, where do you see the business and your passion going in the future? So I don't see my passion leaving in the future. Good, good, <laughs> this, good. This will be a lifelong thing. Awesome. I think that's part of the thing about being a perfumer is like mm-hmm. you really can't be a perfumer unless you're going to live, eat, and breathe this. Nice. Like it's not something you just do ho-hum here and there. It's more mm-hmm. something that you really dedicate your life to. Yeah. Now, are you are you um, still strictly doing those type those craft markets uh, in terms of uh, you know selling and all of that, or can someone go on the web or see you elsewhere oh, yeah. uh, to experience this and purchase? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have a website. It's just labhouse.com. Mm-hmm. Super easy to find. 
Um, and you can purchase anywhere in the United States. And this week, my goal, so I, I just opened up shipping to Canada. So oh. you can also purchase in Canada. Hello, now. Canada. If there's any Canadians yeah. out there, <laughs> there hopefully are. Um, and I'm working on getting that international. The shipping's a little tricky with perfume. Sure. Because it's alcohol. Yeah. Oh, right. Right. Okay. Um, so once I get that sorted out, we'll go international. But. Okay. Well, that's so that was going to be the lead into the next part of the question is like, you've got some visions here and the visions are, you know, for the future. Um, do you, and you don't have to like have it down on paper, but in your head, what is your growth plan? Like, what do you want this to be in five or 10 years? Um, and yeah, I guess that's just the question. So for me, like when I think about that, I see... Mm-hmm. There's so many different routes to success. For me, I care about being in charge of the fragrances. Mm -hmm. I care about getting to make perfume and distribute the perfume to people that love it. (laughs) Um, But there's so many different ways that that could happen. Now, I think like maybe one route would be to just get into a bunch of boutiques. Mm. Um, Another route might be if I could get a contract with I really like anthropology or urban outfitters. Like I feel like that I could see my product on their shelves. Cool. Um, You know, it kind of just depends as far as like growth goes. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's, it's big. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you've already been on a, a, a growth path as Mm -hmm. it were. I mean, when you started this, you started this in uh, your, uh, apartment in Dover. Mm-hmm. That's where the name came from, right? Yep. Lab house. It was a house. It was a lab and a house. So it was a lab house. <laughs> but you are no longer in your house. Can you talk about what point you kind of about grew that and where you are now? Yeah. So I, so I've only been doing this for a year. Mm. Um, but after this last year, I was like, wow, uh, this does not fit in here anymore. <laughs> and, and also I'd really like to be able to like invite clients into the lab to come visit me and like come talk about what they'd like formulated and things like that. Nice. So I actually have a commercial space now in Exeter. It's a lab that I've kind of put together. Um, and so, yeah, it's no longer, it's, it's still, to me, that is my real home, is the <laughs> lab. So it's still lab house, but it's not a lab in a house, technically speaking, anymore. <laughs> and you start hiring, is that correct? No, I would really like to start hiring in the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I could use people to uh, assemble bottles for me, first of all, because putting together the product is something that takes a lot of time. And I feel like I could be formulating more if I wasn't spending quite so much time doing that. Um, and also uh, attending these events for me, because I would like to be at more of them, but I can't be in multiple places at once. Why not? <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> I'll just put a, I'll just put a robot there. Okay. Fine. fine. There it is. There it is. This is, um, this has been a really cool, uh, informative journey for me anyway, um, getting to know you and, and just what, th- this is an entire industry that I know nothing about. So it's so neat to have you. And I'm sure that that may be the case with a number of our listeners too. So um, thank you for sharing um, your passion. It is so clear that there's passion here. You speak so eloquently about it. Um, and so uh, so you're clearly very, very educated around all this. And it was just a real, a real pleasure, Miriam. So Miriam, check is owner of Dover-based, now Exeter-based Lab House. Thanks for being with us. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. 
BizCastNH is a production of Granite Media Group.